0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Discussions and Dragons, the podcast where my brother and I take an in-depth look at the world of 5e and all things Dungeons and Dragons. Opening and closing music credit to Will Savino at patreon.com slash musicd20. I'm Jaren. And I'm Britton. And this week, we are continuing our serialized look at the new sourcebook for 5th edition titled Tasha's Cauldron of Everything. Tasha's has introduced new and optional rules for character creation, as well as a ton of new subclasses for players to choose from. This week, we are focusing on the Paladin and Ranger classes, and everything that Tasha's has to offer them. And I'm starting out with uh, taking a look at the Paladin class. And to be honest, Paladin traditionally isn't a class that I personally am excited about playing. They're kind of this halfway point between Fighters and Clerics. Um, However, I, I do really like the Tenets that paladins get, those are those words, the codes of conduct that you live by that are associated with the different sacred oaths that you choose at third level. And I really like those because it helps me as a player think about how I'm going to roleplay my character. It can even help me make decisions if I'm looking ahead and reading over the different tenets of each sacred oath and make decisions about which path I want to go depending on how I want to roleplay, what kind of character I'm trying to play. Um, However, before we dive into the new Sacred Oaths, which Tasha's has two new ones to choose from, we do have some optional class features. At second level, we have an expanded spell list, and uh, two of these, there's actually not too many to add to this expanded list. Uh, We've got three second-level spells, which are all spells in the Player's Handbook. There are actually three cleric spells. Um, We got two new ones from Tasha's, however, a third-level and fifth-level spell, third level spell uh, which you're going to get this at ninth level paladins don't get access to spells quite at the same pace as other spell casting classes but at uh, as a third level spell there's spirit uh, spirit shroud which lets you uh, as a bonus action for up to a minute with concentration um, your attacks out to a 10-foot range deal an extra 1d8 damage and you get to choose whether that damage is radiant necrotic or cold damage any creature hit in this way can't regain hit points until the start of your next turn Additionally, with this Spirit Shroud, creatures that start within a 10-foot range of you have their speed reduced by 10 feet. The other spell on this expanded list is a 5th level spell, um, which you won't get access to until 17th level, but it is one of the new summons. It's Summon Celestial. And um, this new Summon Celestial is pretty awesome. There's two different forms. You can choose um, an avenging form or a defending form. It does have a flying speed, you know, if it's def- if it's the avenging form, it has this radiant bow that it shoots at range and deals radiant damage. And if it's the defending form, it has this um, celestial mace that it wields to deal melee damage and also deal some uh, healing at the same time. Um, also, as part of the optional class features, we have um, three new fighting styles for paladins, which is something you choose at second level. First up is Blessed Warrior which lets you choose two cantrips from the Cleric list, um, with Charisma still being your spellcasting ability. And also, every time you level in Paladin, you can swap one of those. The other uh, fighting style we have is Blind Fighting, which we've we've seen already, we talked about this uh, in a past episode, talking about Fighter. works exactly the same, but just as a reminder, Blind Fighting um, gives you Blind Sight to 10 feet, lets you see anything that isn't in total cover, and you can see invisible creatures, as long as they haven't successfully hidden from you. And the third new fighting style, we've also seen this talking about Fighter, and it works the same way, it's called Interception. It's that fighting style where, as long as you're wielding a shield or some sort of martial weapon, um, when an ally takes damage within a 5-foot range, you can use your reaction and reduce that damage done by 1d10 plus your proficiency bonus. At third level, we have the optional class feature called Harness Divine Power. And this simply lets you use one of your channel divinities as a bonus action to regain a spell slot, which um, can be no higher than half your proficiency bonus rounded down. And just to give a couple reminders of some things, uh, channel divinity is a a feature, is a thing that you get once per short or long rest. We're gonna go more into that as we um, take a look at the different sacred oaths in Tasha's and for specificity, for, for uh, clarity on, on what types of spell slots, what level you're going to be able to actually regain, um, as we mentioned, Paladins don't quite get spell slots at the same pace as other classes. Um, so all the way to ninth level, this is just getting a 1st level spell slot. Then up to a 2nd level spell slot until 17th level. So it's you're not getting really powerful spell slots back. Um, but anyways, you get to use this feature, this harness divine power to regain the spell slot. You can use it once per long rest. Um, at seventh level, that increases to twice. and at fifteenth level that increases to three times per third level or per per long rest. And lastly, at fourth level, as an optional class feature, we have martial versatility, which is one of those features that we've seen over and over again in different classes. It works really similarly in paladins. Um, You get it once you hit fourth level, and then you can uh, take it anytime you hit a level that increases your ability scores. Um, You can simply swap a fighting style um, in case you've decided the one that you picked uh, back at second level wasn't the one that you want to continue going with, uh, or you just want to take a different direction with your paladin. So now onto the uh, Sacred Oath. This is where paladins kind of branch off in a specific direction and they take their sacred oaths, bind themselves to these words and this code of conduct. It really starts to define the class and the direction that they take. And um, in Tasha's, we have the Oath of Glory. This oath is for those who believe that they uh, and their companions are destined for greatness. Uh, They have heroism through their deeds. They train diligently in preparation for that heroic moment. And the tenets of the Oath of Glory, we have action over words. You strive to be known by glorious deeds, not your words. Challenges are but tests. You face your hardships with courage and encourage your allies to face them with you. We have the tenet hone of the body. Like raw stone, your body must be worked so its potential can be realized. And the last tenet of this Oath of Glory is discipline the soul. You must marshal the discipline to overcome failings within yourself that threaten to dim the glory of you and your friends.
1: So this kind of seems like the Gaston of paladins. Yeah, exactly, yeah. It's, I, you know, I've played a paladin once in my entire career of Dungeons and & Dragons, and I really never paid too much attention to the tenants. I think they were like a vengeance... Uh, Paladin, I think, it, like I said, it was, a, it was a one-off, and I, like you said earlier, I'm now reading through these as you're talking about them, and I think these tenants are really cool because it offers some free role-play moments. It gives you kind of a, it gives you boundaries to live within as your Paladin, and also, I, I sometimes like to think, um, in place of a Cleric, Paladins are, they try to be the moral compass, or they try to be the heroic leader of their party, regardless of if they are or they aren't, they use their oaths and they use their tenants to help shape their party and lead their party. So I think, you know, offering some free RP to people who maybe not that RP inclined, this kind of puts the training wheels on for them. And for people who are um, very much RP experienced, this gives them boundaries to work within and freely improv.
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I 100% agree. And that's, um, I remember one of the uh, first games that I played in, in my adult life with playing D&D. I played it a long time ago as well. But one of the first games I played in was uh, Picking a Paladin. And I appreciated these tenets because of that giving me some direction and some ideas of how to RP my character. And I think also just because I'm a huge Brandon Sanderson fan and I really like the Stormlight Archive. And no spoilers, but I just really love the idea of having some sort of code of conduct that your character is bound to
1: Mm mm-hmm it yeah like with paladins clerics and warlocks being in relationship to something else can really help your RP moments and help you round out your character in your own mind to bring a strong sense of character decisions and intelligent decision making when it comes to your character bringing that to the table only makes everybody else's job let alone the dm's job so much easier
0: right so your character isn't simply a block of stats that cast spells it's uh, a personality a living breathing thing that develops over time and in this case is bound by these tenets these uh these oaths these words these guidelines and this moral compass these whatever you want to call it mm-hmm So, uh, it's nothing mechanical, but I I really like these. I've always liked these about Paladins. So, continuing on, we have the Oath spells, which um, work really similarly, almost exactly like the Druid Circle spells, where you get access to these. They are always prepared. They don't count towards the number of spells that you can prepare per day. Um, Nothing new with this uh, Oath of glory, nothing uh, of the new spells. They're all spells that are in the player's handbook, but they're things that you would expect, like Guiding Bolt, and Heroism, and enhanceability, Protection from Energy, uh, Compulsion. And like we mentioned, Paladins don't level the same way as in terms of their spell slots, like other casting classes. So at 3rd level, this is when you start to get these spells. You're not going to have access to these until ninth level. So these don't come into play right away. It's kind of Maybe a little odd that they included this at third level, because you're not really getting these spells. I, I don't think until you actually can cast a third level spell slot. Um, however, continuing on, and not to dwell too much on the negative, um, we have the Channel Divinity feature for the Oath of Glory, and just to remind, you can use each. You can use this feature once per short or long rest. And there's two ways to use the Oath of Glory Channel Divinity. First one, we have Peerless Athlete. This lets you augment your own personal athleticism. As a bonus action, and for the next 10 minutes, you gain the following. You get advantage on athletics and acrobatics checks. You can carry, push, drag, or lift twice the amount as normal. And you can also you get an extra 10 feet of distance or height on your long or high jumps. So. It might be, it's situational, clearly, um, for that tenement duration might be kind of nice if you know, uh, if you're already somebody who can lift quite a bit and now you're doubling that, maybe you're a, a goliath who's trying to lift some massive adamantine bar out of the ground that weighs 2,000 pounds. I don't know.
1: Are you pulling from Storm King's Thunder?
0: Perhaps, perhaps. Real real world experiences. <laughs> um, however, um, you know, it's it's a situational feature um it's in line with the uh the theme of the oath of glory um however we do have another one uh, another uh, way to use the third level channel divinity is inspiring smite and you use this after you hit with your divine smite um you can as a bonus action distribute temporary hit points uh out to your allies it's a 30-foot range that temporary hit point uh, total is 2d8 plus your level you can divide it any way you want, um, and just as a reminder, the Divine Smite is that second level feature that all Paladins get, where you can burn a spell slot and deal extra Radiant damage. Um, so it's it's really nice to be able to combine that extra Radiant damage with your Divine Smite with the ability to then heal your allies. Uh, puts a very on brand for you know how Paladins are supposed to work, being this sort of in-between of Fighters and Clerics.
1: Yeah, I think, um, yeah, just like you said, with dealing damage and healing, especially in the same turn, is so powerful and so strong. Um, I I recently saw a a piece of media regarding um, bonus action healing word using that versus cure wounds. Being able to deal damage and still heal in the process is a very strong combination, especially for people who have the ability to
0: heal. Yeah, absolutely. 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 Continuing on, um, we don't get anything additional until 7th level. And I, I do some research as somebody who doesn't play a lot of paladins. I needed to see what they get at 4th through 6th level. Uh, this And by the way, this is just totally in line with how the other oaths work. This isn't a weird thing with the Oath of Glory where they're not getting anything till 7th level. This is how all the other oaths work too. Um, but 4th to 6th level, um, at 4th level you're getting that ability score change, maybe you're taking a feat instead, maybe you're changing fighting styles with the um, the new martial versatility option. 5th uh, level you're getting extra attack and you can finally cast 2nd level spells. 6th level you get that aura of protection, um, which gives you uh, a bonus for your saves um, out to a 10 foot range. Um, and then 7th level, the, the feature that comes in with the Oath of Glory is this thing called aura of alacrity you increase your walking speed by 10 feet and additionally any ally who starts their turn within five feet a range of you has an extra 10 feet of movement for that turn um, then that range increases at 18th level to 10 feet instead of five feet um, so I, I personally this isn't one that i'm really excited about simply getting 10 feet extra movement in your turn and then if i'm shoulder to shoulder with some allies they can also get 10 feet extra movement for that turn. I can't imagine picking Paladin and picking uh, the Oath of Glory thinking, man, I'm really looking forward to 7th level.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: It's useful for sure. I'm not going to turn it down. It just doesn't really seem on par with the strength of, you know, a 7th level ability. Um, However, not to downplay uh, this Oath too much, I do want to continue on. Um, We have another large gap where... We don't get anything with this specific Oath until 15th level. Paladins, uh, again, not a, not really the most exciting progression. At 8th, they're getting you know ability score change. At 9th level, you finally can cast 3rd level spells. Um, at 10th level, you get a new Aura of Courage, which gives you a can't-be-frightened aura. Uh, you improve your Divine Smite at 11th level. We have another ability score at 12th level. 13th, we're finally casting 4th level spells. And at 14th, you're, you have this ability called Cleansing Touch, which lets you end a spell on, on yourself or an ally. And at 15th level, we are uh, getting the, uh, the Oath of Glory feature, uh, which is called Glorious Defense. So finally, what is this 15th level feature? Um, you can turn your defense into a sudden strike. So the target has to be uh, you or another creature that you can see within 10 feet. When they are attacked, or when you are attacked, if the target is you, you can use your reaction, uh, give a bonus to your AC for that attack, or bonus to their AC for that attack, and that amount, that bonus AC, is equal to your charisma modifier. Um, If that attack then misses because of this bonus, you can make one weapon attack as long as they're within range. And you get to do this, you can use this feature a number of times equal to your charisma modifier, which you get those uses back after a long rest. So I, I think this one is actually pretty useful. It's to me, it's not you know a very exciting feature. It is very useful though.
1: Yeah, it, exactly what you said. It's not exciting, but it is incredibly useful. Um, I would say you know this is actually kind of exactly what I was talking about when um, we were talking about the the peace domain cleric. You know how they can use their reaction to teleport and cause the attack to hit them instead. And I was like, you know, I just, I wish maybe you could add AC or it challenges their AC. I kind of like this, where this kind of bridges that gap where they can use their charisma modifier to bolster their AC. Yeah,
0: and and um, just based purely on the numbers, you know, I think if you're, if you're taking this oath and you know that this is coming, you're probably, you're already, you know, charisma is already going to be your highest stat. You're probably... Um, improving that ability as you go and level up to 15th level. So ideally, you know, you're getting a a plus four or plus five even um, with this extra uh, bonus AC. Um, And then if that misses, you get this extra attack. This is the equivalent of a shield spell, but better.
1: Yeah, very much so. The downside being that it has to be within 10 feet of you. So... Thinking about, I guess metagaming-wise, thinking about the people that are going to be next to you in battle. The fighter, the barbarian, you, and uh, maybe the monk, if they're up there too, depending on what your party is, um, or your party size. So, this really could save the save the barbarian some damage, um, or even the fighter some damage. Your main damage dealers, you really do want to be saving them, because who's going to be hitting your backline is rangers or other range attacks or other spellcasters, casters. Um, but spellcasters should be able to take care of spellcasters, casters, you know, with counter spell or shield spells, things like that. Mm-hmm. So I think this is, this plays into a good one-on-one or even two-on-two fighting style. Yeah,
0: certainly it's, it's a tactical one for sure. Not one that's just simply automatically going to be really good. You got to really think about your, your combat and how you're, going into battle with your allies.
1: And I I don't want to sit here and praise Tasha's too much uh, just on one thing alone, but I think it is uh, good to note that we have said the word tactical so many times throughout even these past couple episodes that we've recorded I think that it's very important to note that Tasha's is adding so many more choices for players to think critically and think tactically. Because 5e is so combat heavy and so combat focused, I think putting those options into the player's hands for them to make critical decisions is important because it not only strengthens the mind of the player to think about combat a little bit more tactically and not just, all right, I walk up and swing my sword, but I think it also offers the choices to be put into the hands of the player to grow and learn about more combat material.
0: I, I completely agree. Combat can be a little bit uh, one-dimensional sometimes. I, I walk in and I attack, okay, I miss one well, my turns over. So giving you some options to think a little bit beyond that, certainly nice to spice up combat. Yeah, like
1: where do I want to position myself on the map? Well, if I run in, can the cleric cast a spell on me to buff me? Or if I take down this person, is there somebody right behind that the ranger could attack as well? Like, obviously, I know depending on your DM, depending on the DM's um, allowance of table talk, um, I think that that builds camaraderie, builds a, a tactical sense of, all right, you go here, I'll go here. And then instead of doing table talk, those are plans being formed before the battle. Right. And that now brings up maybe um, a signature style that your party does, like, all right, I you always buff me up and I go swing in and I pull these enemies in. It's I I think without getting too deep, I, I like that even I am starting to think more critically and tactically when it comes to what's offered on the battlefield as information for my party to go in and make these well thought out attacks
0: yeah absolutely absolutely and i'm glad that tasha's giving us ideas and options for for choices to how to do that technically and there i said Mm technically again (laughs) so maybe that's a good point to continue on with the the end final 20th level feature of the oath of glory which is called living legend as a bonus action for one minute you get the following features. You have advantage on all your charisma checks. Um, once per turn, um, when you make an attack with a weapon and it misses, you can instead just hit with it. You can just choose to hit with it. And uh, also on a on a failed save, you can use your reaction and reroll it. And you must use the reroll. Um, you can use this feature, this bonus action, living legend once per long rest, unless you spend a 5th level spell slot to take it again. And at 20th level, you have uh, two fifth level spell slots. So I have mixed opinions on this. I think it's incredibly strong, but incredibly unimpressive at the same time. I understand that being able to, like, once per turn automatically guarantee that you get a hit at 20th level is going to be extremely powerful. And this is the kind of thing... It's lasting for a minute. You're going to use this going into that big final combat where it's really going to be important that you strike some hits. Um, but also, like, the rest of it is just kind of unimpressive. Advantage on charisma checks. Um, using your reaction to reroll a failed save. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know how I'd rebrand this or how, how I'd redo it, but uh, for something called Living Legend, that is just a, a bonus action that you have a temporary effect... Um, when I think about like real world living legends, um, for those of you who don't know, I'm from Minnesota and Minnesotans are crazy about Prince, and for good reason. And I've, I've seen videos and I've heard stories. And when that guy walked into a room it was automatic. Everybody was 10 points cooler just for being in the same room. People were smoother. You played better guitar. You stood up straighter. Um, Just from his aura, just from him being there, wasn't something that he like chose to do and was a temporary thing. It just was who Prince was. And I think about like, if for something called living legend, I I would kind of like to see it as, you know, an always on aura, you know, and I understand that you probably can't make um, always being able to hit with your attacks and always on effect, that would be way too powerful. So I'm not exactly sure how I would rebrand this, but I I think I like the idea of something being called living legend. Uh, and you are, you're literally this myth made into flesh, this, uh, persona out of the stories that people see you. And you're like, wow, you're, you're that guy that I read about. You're that heroic uh, person that I, i've I've heard legends about you in other towns halfway across the map and there you are you know I, I think I'd like to see it as a, an ongoing aura I don't know how I would change it but I, I've mixed opinions because getting guaranteed guaranteed hits in combat is super strong but the rest of it is kind of odd to me for being this capstone 20th level thing I, I think it it's it's a little bit weird.
1: Yeah, and uh, normally I would uh, maybe take Devil's Advocate or try to uh, think of, you know, something else or positive to say about it. But I, I will agree that this is not a, you know, level 15 capstone or a level 17 capstone feature. This is a 20th level. This is the max level. This is the highest level you could possibly be and getting advantage on Charisma checks. Um I would probably say charisma checks and charisma saves. Let's be honest, um, because you're not going to be doing a whole lot of charisma checks in battle, um, especially when you have a a battle RP. Um, sorry, not battle RP. You have a a battle focused feature right afterwards where you can just hit with an attack. Um, I don't know it. This seems like a cool idea that got a little confused as they were writing it.
0: I would maybe like to see something like this as, you know, a 15th or 17th level thing. But as a 20th level, it just it's odd because, you know, like I said, obviously you can't always for the entire combat, it, you know, assuming combat lasts longer than a minute, longer than, you know, 10 rounds, which potentially at 20th level, you're fighting the big bad might last longer than 10 rounds. You can't have that be a permanent effect and always on effect. But uh, like I said, something called Living Legend, I don't know. Maybe I, I'd like to see it change just to, you know, maybe it's a it's a, a 30-foot aura where everybody always has advantage on uh, charisma checks. And maybe it's something where if they're near you, they get a, a bonus to their attack rolls or something. I don't know.
1: Yeah. And, you know, something that I just thought of was and when, when you were speaking about this, The only upside that I see about this where it's just like, this makes it seem living legend is that you gain the following benefits for one minute. There's no concentration. It doesn't say anything about it stopping if you become unconscious. So that's the upside. If you get hit really hard, get hit really hard and you are unconscious and somebody brings you back, you still have those effects for that full minute.
0: Yeah, now I'm just rereading it and it doesn't mention anything about um, going unconscious or anything like that. Um, so I guess yeah. maybe
1: that's the the living legend aspect is that this still happens no matter what happens to you.
0: Yeah. So I, I guess not too much else to, to say on that. Um, I think I am a lot more excited about the other Oath, however. Um, but, you know, I personally won't be picking Paladin and picking... oath of glory uh in tasha's it's just not really one that i'm terribly excited about so moving on not to dwell too much on that anymore um, we have the oath of the watchers the other oath in tasha's um this one's interesting this oath is for those who uh, protect the mortal realms from extra planar creatures they strive to hone their body and minds to be the ultimate weapons against these sorts of threats they've got a, a healthy level of suspicion And an awareness. They're kind of always on the lookout for influence by these extraplanar beings. And the tenets of the Oath of the Watchers. um, We have vigilance. The threats you face are cunning, powerful, and subversive. Be ever alert for their corruption. We have loyalty. You never accept gifts or favors from fiends or those who truck with them. You stay true to your order, your comrades, and your duty. And we have Discipline. You are the shield against the endless terrors that lie beyond the stars. Your blade must be forever sharp and your mind keen to survive what lies beyond. So I think this one is a little bit, um, it's really interesting because this, this is, in my mind, stepping a little bit away from what traditionally I think about as, as a paladin. And um, just because it's being this protector against these otherworldly beings, I think it's kind of cool.
1: Yeah, it kind of reminds me of um, the Watchers on the Wall from Game of Thrones. Yeah. You are not serving a particular god or, you know, anything like that. You are, you are the embodiment of protection. You are ever watchful for your party, for your people, for community as a whole against these otherworldly threats.
0: The, the Night's Watch. Exactly. Yeah. It's a, it's a good comparison. And... Um... Like I mentioned, I, I really like the, the cue for, for role-playing with, with this particular one, with this set of tenets. Um, anyways, with the Oath of the Watchers, um, we have the Oath of the Watcher spell list. Um, the Oath spells, which, again, you always have prepared once you have access to them, and they don't count against your prepared spells. Um, they start with third-level uh, spells, and it's things like Alarm, Detect Magic, Moonbeam... Um, counterspell, non-detection, um, those sorts of things. I may be actually, now that I'm re- reading through this, um, I got to retract what I pointed out earlier with the Oath spells because I know Moonbeam specifically is a third level spell. So it might be such that um, these in, in these Oath spells, these aren't listing the spell level. This is just when you get them at that Paladin level, which makes way more sense and I apologize for Messing that up earlier. However, you know, getting these uh, spells at these various levels, they're going to be pretty good. They're um, spells that are not new in Tasha's. These are in, player, in the player's handbook. Um, and you always have them prepared. They don't count towards the number of spells you prepare each day. Um, anyways, moving on, the third level channel divinity feature for the Oath of the Watchers. We have Watcher's Will. And as an action for one minute, you can... Uh, you choose. Uh, a number of creatures up to your charisma modifier and that's a 30-foot range and you and those chosen uh, in that range have advantage on intelligence wisdom and charisma saves the other feature with uh, channel divinity that you can choose the other option is uh, abjure the extra planar fancy term but uh, as an action for a 30-foot range you present your holy symbol and each aberration celestial elemental fey or fiend makes a wisdom save, and on failed saves, they're turned for one minute or until they take damage. And uh, just as a refresher for those who maybe forgot or aren't familiar with what turned means, keyword, um, if something is turned, they have to spend its turn uh, moving away from you, they can't willingly end its move in a space that's within 30 feet of you, um, and they have to use the dash action um, to try to get away, or if they can't move to a valid space, they have to take the dodge action. Um, so we've seen things like this. I think Cleric has a, a Turn Undead feature, right? Um, so with Abjure, the, the extra planer, it's adding that sort of idea into uh, Paladins, the Oath of the Watchers, but to target uh, not the undead, but Aberrations, Celestials, Elementals, phase, and Fiends.
1: See, now this is what I'm talking about. How I said in the Cleric episode that I don't like that Turn Undead is the the blanket thing that clerics can do i love that this is a specifically turn aberration celestial elemental fiend or fey like i like that it's so specific i and it's specific to a subclass i think if they wanted to do a turn feature it should be like a turn feature that is specific to the subclass because, like I said, what if there's grave clerics? What if there's death clerics that want to worship these undead gods or gods of undeath? Why would they be turning undead? I think it's right. It would be really cool if there was different turn features that are different creature types.
0: Yeah. So, and I, like you mentioned, I like that this is, um, you know, on brand for this particular oath and your turning something that isn't an undead you are the uh the watcher against these extraplanar beings those being the aberration celestial elemental fey and fiends and so being able to that's a lot more flexible i think than one creature type being undead you know this is this is a uh, five different things that you know potentially could be caught by this ability Mm-hmm. so uh, continuing on um at seventh level once again there's that gap between third and seventh where there's not a whole lot but it is it consistent with the other uh, oaths um at seventh level we have the aura of the sentinel and you emit this aura of alertness uh such that you or any creature of your choice within 10 feet um gets to add uh, a bonus to their initial their initiative rules equal to your proficiency bonus um, this range increases to 30 feet at 18th level um, so just helping you go a little bit quicker, uh, during combat, uh, you or, you know, one of your allies. Okay. So I suppose, um, not a whole lot of extra to say about that one. Uh, moving on, I suppose we have, uh, the 15th level feature called, uh, Vigilant Rebuke. And uh, I, I had to read this one a couple different times cause I didn't quite understand how it worked at first, but we'll, we'll try to simplify it and make it clear. But the Vigilant Rebuke. Uh, allows you to, um, you, you've learned how to chastise anyone who dares wield beguilements against you and your wards. So wh- how that works um, is it's a range of 30 feet and it's uh, whenever a, a creature that succeeds on intelligence, wisdom, or charisma save, um, you can use your reaction and deal 2d8 plus your charisma modifier of force damage to the creature that forced the save. So, uh, to maybe, like, try to explain that, if uh, an enemy makes, you know, you or an ally make a, a save, one of these specific saves, and we succeed, you can then use your reaction and, and deal uh, this rebuking uh, damage against them. Um, so, the scenario, you make a save, and then you just deal uh, damage back. You know, in in, the, in this visual cool. rebuke, you know?
1: Yeah, you get the, the, the bonus of that character succeeding on the charisma save and then you punishing that person or punishing the creature that cast that spell or that feature back by not only breaking that spell on that person but now they get force damage which this actually coincides with a feature that we'll see here in a little bit when i talk about the fey wanderer oh interesting
0: well i'm excited to hear about that yeah, this one is literally the uh the no you. I <laughs> mean. Yeah, no you. No, you. Um anyways, so uh continuing on um the last big end cap 20th level feature for the Oath of the Watchers is called Mortal Bulwark. Um as a bonus action for 1 minute, you gain 120 feet of true sight. Already super useful. Um, You have advantage on all attacks against aberrations, celestials, elementals, fey, and fiends. And on a hit, um, you can force the creature to make a charisma save, and if they fail, uh, they are magically banished to their native plane if they're not already there. If they succeed on that charisma save, they can't be banished in this way for the next 24 hours. Um, You get to use this bonus action, this mortal bulwark, once per long rest, unless you burn a 5th level spell slot. Um, and once again, at 20th level, you've got two of those 5th level spell slots. So I think this one is way cooler and way more useful than the uh, the Oath of the Glory 20th level feature.
1: I mean, already with sight with a range of 120 feet, sight is incredible, especially if you're looking for a dragon or looking for people that are invisible. Like, yeah. Just send this person out.
0: Exactly. You're getting advantage on these specific types that you are the watcher against. And I need to clarify, um, since I did kind of like talk about them in succession, um, that last, that final feature where you can magically banish something to its native plane if they fail to make a charisma save, that's on all creatures, not just those five types.
1: Oh, wow. So if there's, you know, potentially some humans that are in the lower planes um, or aberrations that are in the material plane things like that that's really cool yeah
0: so yeah like i said i think this one is is um something that i'm definitely excited about it's not overpowered in any way it's just really strong and really thematically role-playing wise something that's really cool to me and here's
1: the thing though that the one thing that makes me nervous about that is the paladin that does that you got to make sure that the BBEG that you're fighting with that hasn't uh, still got a legendary resistance in its pocket because it can't be banished by this feature for 24 hours if it saves. So if it chooses to succeed on the save, you won't be able to banish it. So you got to make sure that you've burned those legendary resistances before you do this. Right,
0: exactly. But uh, anyways... Uh, th- that's the, the end cap, the, the big capstone for the Oath of the Watchers. I, like I said, I think I'm much more excited about this uh, Oath of Paladins as opposed to the, uh, the Oath of Glory. Um, but those are the two things that, that Tasha's offers for Paladins. Um, I don't have any final words on them. Any, any, any last thoughts on what I've talked about thus far?
1: No, I would just agree with you that the Oath of the Watchers is thematically and technically more exciting to me than the Oath of Glory. Um, And I I like the kind of ranger aspect a little bit of that paladin subclass. Right, right. Where you are on the hunt for these specific things.
0: Yeah, I agree. I, I like how that feels. And,
1: well, speaking of rangers, I chose rangers this week for the subclasses. Um, So I'm going to dive right into the optional class features. There are a lot of them for this class, so I'm just going to be going through them a little bit more quick than normal, not giving too much of my opinion. I just want to be able to make sure that you guys have all that information. So starting out at first level, there's an optional class feature called Deft Explorer. Now this feature actually replaces the natural Explorer feature. So what it is is you gain the canny feature at first level, roving at 6th and then tireless at 10th so canny is you can choose one skill that you have proficiency in and double the bonus for any role made with that skill and you also gain two languages that you can read write and speak when you hit sixth level and you gain roving you increase your walking speed by five feet and you gain a climbing and swimming speed equal to your speed And finally, tireless at 10th level, you can give yourself temporary HP equal to 1d8 plus your wisdom modifier. And you can do that a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus after or per long rest. And when you finish a short rest, you may reduce your exhaustion level by one. So as a replacement for Natural Explorer, I think this is a really fun flavor for rangers um, because without multi-classing, they really don't have the opportunity to have expertise in a skill, which is what you get from canny. Um, honestly, I do really think that more classes should have the opportunity to have one thing that they are really good at and have expertise in it. It allows more opportunity for you know diversifying of skill, especially when you think about forming a party or at least being able to reinforce skills by doubling up on characters with similar skills. Um, And, I mean, as a part of canny, having those two additional languages is always good. Um, Being able to communicate with more things in 5e is key. Um, So for roving, getting a five-foot bump in movement speed is not anything to write home about, uh, but gaining that walking and climbing speed that's equal to your movement speed is extremely useful. Uh, especially in situations where you would need a ranger to traverse a variety of terrain which is exactly what they are used for and what they are known for and finally tireless Um, I think it's cool that it offers a bit of protection for rangers to use on themselves Uh, gaining temporary HP before a fight can be really nice and you know the fact that they can use this feature without casting a spell is super super convenient and allowing a character to essentially get rid of four levels of exhaustion in a matter of a couple of hours is just insane. Since there are no real limits as to how many short rests a character can take in a day. I mean, realistically what, it's between like 24 and 48 short rests. Um, so I think it, that feature being called tireless is a hundred percent living up to its name. Um, being able to get rid of that exhaustion in just a matter, matter of couple hours is really, really cool. And since this feature does actually take the place of Natural Explorer, the player that takes this would be sacrificing a few important features, um, especially when it comes to having a favored terrain. Um, But I think that the payoff for this is that it makes for a more well-rounded ranger and more of a a wide expanses ranger rather than a terrain-specific one. And backpacking on top of you know, favored terrain, there is a first level optional feature called favored foe, which replaces the favored enemy feature. Uh, so when you hit a creature with an attack, you may mark this creature for one minute as your favored enemy, as if you were concentrating on a spell. You can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest, and while marked, this creature takes an additional 1d4 damage the first time it's hit by an attack from you. And this increases to 1d6 at 6th level and 1d8 at 10th level. So again, with Tasha's trying to create a more adaptable and changeable class, Rangers that take this feature, I think will be focused on less specific enemies and more on the general quote unquote enemy. You know, an incremental bump in damage is nice, but I think that for me, it's the fact that what you're sacrificing is the advantage on wisdom and intelligence checks to recall information about specific enemies and also having the additional languages. I think having the bump in damage is nice, but what you're sacrificing, I don't think really offsets that. Especially when, you know, you will be tracking enemies. You will have to traverse across the countryside or across seaside to get to the locations to where you're trying to find these creatures. Um, so I I guess it just depends on who you are and how you'd like to build your ranger and how they would like to focus and why they started adventuring in the first place. It allows for a player to decide, do I want a general ranger that is good in many different terrains, um, based off of my climbing and uh, swimming speed and I, I know multiple languages or do you want a terrain specific and enemy specific where they're out for a specific reason to track certain creatures um, and be affluent in different languages relating to terrain and enemies so it it offers adaptability and offers maybe a more spread out thin kind of Ranger rather than specific
0: I really like this favored foe as opposed to favored enemy. Um, I don't play ranger a lot, so I, I'm I'm learning some stuff too here as we go. Um, but I really like the favored foe since it's something that ha- you you it just happens in the middle of combat. It isn't um, hey you got to choose a type ahead of time and hopefully you, that's what you fight.
1: Yeah, that is the one downside I think of you know favored terrain and favored foe is that. I think without metagaming, you would want to speak with your DM and say, hey, before I choose these, what are we going to be encountering in the sense of, well, I'm not going to pick fiends if we're just going to be staying, you know, on the material plane. Not many fiends show up unless you are, you know, fighting cults or things like that. Or same thing with aberrations, unless you're going through portals or different rifts and things like that, you may not see those favored enemies. So it does give you the opportunity with this uh, first level favored foe feature to make anybody your favorite enemy. So moving right on is the second level additional ranger spells. Now, most of the spells that are on this list are actually in the Player's Handbook. Uh, the only ones that we do have that are from Tasha's are the Summon Fey and Summon Elemental. Now, we've gone over these spells in uh, previous classes uh, that have also had access to these spells. Um, so you can, you know, if you want to re-listen to those, or I think maybe in the future, we're probably honestly going to have a whole episode devoted to these Summon blank spells because they are so powerful they are so different from what we've seen with conjuring Um, but the book does also advise that you look in the player's handbook and xanathar's guide to everything for even more additional ranger spells Um, but i i'm i'm happy that the summoning spells are so powerful and rangers having them i think is really nice um it it gives a little bit more of a reason to play ranger not that there's not some already but i think Having more reason and more access to some of these really cool spells makes rangers a little bit more enticing. Um, so coming up with the second level additional spells, you also have additional fighting style options. So just like we saw with the paladin and the fighter, blind fighting, uh, quick review, you have set up to 10 feet and you can see anything that isn't behind total cover, even while blinded or in darkness. Um, same thing that we've seen, it's just now showing up in ranger. Um, druidic Warrior, which is kind of something that we saw with Paladins. And I think it was called uh, like Blessed Warrior or um, Divine Warrior, uh, where you were able to have access to Cleric Cantrips. You can now learn two Cantrips from the Druid spell list. They count as Ranger spells for you, and you can use your Wisdom modifier for those spells. And every time you gain a level, you can replace one of these Cantrips. Uh, you also get Throne Weapon Fighting. So this is you may draw a weapon uh, that has the throne property as a part of the action that you take when you take the attack action and you also gain a plus two to the damage roll if you hit so all of these fighting styles are pretty cut and dry Um, i just think that the one that is pretty unique especially when it comes to rangers is the druidic warrior having access to cantrips as a ranger is something that's completely new for them Um, being half casters they have a limited Uh, spell list and a limited level of spells that they can cast, and that includes not having access to cantrips. So if you do like having cantrips, I would suggest taking that as a fighting style. Being able to use a couple more um, useful cantrips is nice, especially when you have a party that needs different things.
0: Yeah, and I just want to say, as somebody who's played a lot of druid, there's some really cool druid cantrips. I'm thinking right off the bat, druidcraft, shillelagh, thorn whip, and even guidance is super useful.
1: Yeah, oh my gosh, guidance is so nice, and druidcraft is so nice. Um, You know, say you're trying to camouflage your party's camp for the evening, you can use druidcraft to grow branches and cover your party's... Uh, camp for the evening so maybe your dm decides to give your entire party advantage on stealth because you are stealthed in this growth that your ranger has created for you guys
0: yeah i think rangers having access to druid craft and, and and whatnot i think that makes a lot of sense being able to manipulate nature because you were so in tune with it as a ranger makes sense
1: yeah and piggybacking on the spell casting The additional second level feature that you get is called spellcasting focus, and you can just use a druidic spellcasting focus for your spells. So um, you also can have access to the third level feature, which is an optional feature that replaces the primeval awareness feature called primal awareness. So you gain these additional spells when you hit certain levels in this class, um, and you can cast them once per long rest without using a spell slot. At third level, you have speak with animals, fifth level is Beast Sense, ninth level is Speak with Plants, thirteenth level is Locate Creature, and seventeenth level is Commune with Nature. Now, I always like having more spells. So, um, you know, when I played this, uh, I, I played a ranger actually a couple of weeks ago in a one-shot, so I took this because I wanted to have a little bit more spells. Um, and all of these spells are actually available in the Player's Handbook. Uh, so taking this feature, you will give up the opportunity to track different creatures for a minute Um, but personally i think it's a good trade-off i don't think really ever when i played a ranger i ever used primeval awareness some people do some people swear by it Um, i know that i would just rather take some of these additional spells especially speak with animals and beast sense being able to look through the eyes of an animal i think is really really cool
0: i i like that as well and I, i i feel like this primal awareness fits more thematically to what a ranger is versus the primeval awareness and that primeval awareness feels more like something that should be in the oath of the watchers Mm.
1: yeah yeah now that you say that i i totally agree um so coming up on fourth level um it's the same thing that we've seen across all classes uh martial versatility uh when you take an ability score improvement or um a feat, you can replace a fighting style that you know with another from the list that's available to rangers. Um, Pretty cut and dry, we've seen this throughout basically all the other classes so far. And the last optional feature that you can take is called, it's at 10th level, and it's called Nature's Veil. This will replace the Hide and Plain Sight feature. So as a bonus action, you can magically become invisible until your next turn. And it can be used a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. Personally. As soon as i read this i was like this is just a better version of hide and plain sight hide in plain sight it takes a minute to create um, as you're literally putting physical camouflage from your surrounding area on yourself um, and you're not able to move or take actions without breaking the stealth bonus Um, and it it is not an invisible thing you i you just get a bonus to your stealth Um, this feature allows you to become invisible until your next turn and there are no stipulations regarding moving or taking actions So sure, it does have limited uses per long rest, but at 10th level, if you take this, you can do this four times and become invisible four times.
0: That sounds way more useful. I I like this a lot. A lot more.
1: Yeah, I I don't know why anyone would take Hide and Plain Sight at this point. I think that Nature's Veil is just far, far superior, in my opinion.
0: Also... Um, if you've not read through *Hide and Plain Sight* in a while, um, it specifically says you have to have access to fresh mud, dirt, plants, suit, and other naturally occurring materials, like you said, t- in order to create this uh, constructed by hand camouflage.
1: Yeah. So if you're in the city, good luck. <laughs> you're right. You won't be able to do it. Yeah. So that does it for the optional class features. Um, moving right into the First of two um, ranger archetypes that are available in Tasha's Cauldron of Everything, the first is called Fae Wanderer. So through whatever means, uh, perhaps maybe an archfey granted you visions and knowledge of their realm, or a fruit of the feywild was consumed by you, or maybe your, your parentage was partly fey, rangers of this archetype have been touched by the feywild and have been granted bits of its mysterious and terrifying magic. So at 3rd level, you get a feature that is called Dreadful Strikes. Now, once per turn, when you hit a creature with an attack, you may also deal an additional 1d4 psychic damage to it. Uh, And this increases to 1d6 at 11th level. So, initially, 1d4 and 1d6 does not really seem like a lot. But just like with the Force Damage bonus from the Way of the Astral Self Monk that we've seen in the previous episode, Psychic Damage is a damage that doesn't see a lot of resistance. Um, It does, however, see a couple of handfuls of monsters that are immune to Psychic Damage, Um, and unless you have a DM that really doesn't want their players doing Psychic Damage, I think that this feature is useful. Um, Having a unique damage type that can still get around a majority of creatures' resistance, Uh, Is really cool, especially when you have creatures that are resistant to slashing piercing damage or even immune to uh, Slashing or piercing damage a ranger that can still hit you and their their attacks doing that psychic damage to you is really nice
0: Yeah, and not to mention um, I know this is something you get at third level but uh, at fifth level you start to be able to attack twice on your turn So that just doubles up on that additional psychic damage or the potential for it at least
1: Yeah, the potential for sure, because unfortunately you can only do it once per turn, but hey, even if you miss, you can still do psychic damage um, as long as you hit on the second one. So at third level, um, you get a feature what is called Fey Wanderer magic. So just like many other casters and half-casters getting access to class and subclass-specific magic, the Fey Wanderer gets these additional spells. Um, They are learned at certain levels, and they don't count against your spells known, And you will also be able to possess a blessing from the Feywild that can manifest itself in a unique way. There is a table provided to roll on if you'd like, um, or you can choose what that will manifest as. So these spells are at third level, you get Charm Person. Fifth level is Misty Step. Ninth level is Dispel Magic. Thirteenth level is Dimension Door. And seventeenth level is Mislead. Now, hearing this list, to me, um, it's very, very on-brand for the Fey Wanderer. Um, These are all very Fey spells, and I appreciate the selection that uh, they have offered to the players. And especially, I know, you know, asking a DM to get a party all the way to 17th level sometimes can be a big ask because, you know, party conflicts and wanting to finish the story, sometimes you just don't get to 17th level. But if you do... I think that Mislead is a really cool spell for rangers to have. It can be incredibly powerful, uh, especially since they are known to be the scouts of the party. Now for those of you who are unfamiliar with Mislead, it is a spell that essentially you become invisible and you can create a copy of yourself to appear, I think it's within like a 30-60 uh, thirty to 60 foot of you, and you can have it act in any way that you'd like, say things, move in a certain way not move so you become invisible and your clone essentially your illusionary clone can act how it pleases how or how you want it to act so i think it's kind of comical to think about maybe a scout supposed to doing their job they're just sitting back in a hammock while their duplicate does all the work without any danger and what's cool to note about it about the mislead spell is as a bonus action you can swap your senses between yours and the clone
0: oh man that's so cool I like that a lot. Who? What class normally gets mislead? Um, I'm not 100 percent sure.
1: I only read mislead and was very, very excited to see that that was kind of a, a spell that was going to be for the for the scout class. Um, but taking a look here, I see that mislead is
0: um. There's there's so many options to because I, I always love when. Uh, classes get abil- op- you know, opportunities to play in a very different way than you'd normally think.
1: Yeah, exactly. Um, especially when it comes to these additional spells, that's what's kind of offered, and I think that's really cool. And, you know, when classes like these have minor RP elements uh, built into their kit, I think that's really cool. So I, I didn't really go over the table The the, the blessing from the Feywild, Uh, some of the examples they have here is that, um, you know, illusory butterflies flutter around you while you take a short or long rest, or fresh seasonal flowers sprout from your hair each dawn. Horns or antlers sprout from your head. Uh, Your skin and hair change color to match the season at each dawn. Like, so the, the the little boon or blessing that you get from the Feywild is nothing game-changing, but I love that they are offering that to these Fey Wanderers. So you do have this air of mystery around you. Um, it's elements that are built into the kit um, to further deepen the character and round out the idea. Um, you know these the these sort of blessings actually kind of remind me of what we talked about in a couple previous episodes with the way of mercy monk when you get the mask and the star map from the circle of stars druid yeah um, it has no real bearing on the game or how the campaign's going to go but it offers moments of truly interesting rp and it allows the players to personalize their character um, to really feel a connection with them
0: yeah, these these little tiny moments of RP or these little flavors, I think, um, really make. I'm getting kind of bigger picture here, but really make D and D special. What it what it what it is? You know what it was uh, unique about it. Um, the, uh, these little tiny moments. We're all telling a story together, and we're not just simply stats trying to kill a big enemy. Um, it's we're collectively telling the story, and it's these moments that. Uh, at least help me become more immersed in this this uh, second world and uh, get immersed in this story and put myself in the picture. Um, I, I really like these these small little details. It's
1: the it's almost the the spells that don't do damage and the effects that don't do damage that are more important to Dungeons and Dragons. I would say I, it's the spells that are really meant for RP or the features that are meant for RP that make your characters special and make them remember um that make them memorable to you yeah i would agree um so an additional feature that you get uh, as well as the spells and the blessing from the feywild at the third level is called otherworldly glamour when you make a charisma check you may gain a bonus equal to your wisdom modifier and you can also gain proficiency in your choice of perception performance or persuasion it's a i think this is just a cool low level feature it's nothing crazy um but maybe you felt like having a charismatic ranger, um, you could capitalize on the bonuses granted by this feature. And if not, I think it's still a good feature to have that's very on brand for Fey, getting uh, the bonuses in one of those uh, three areas. So moving on to the level seven feature that I wanted to talk to you about specifically in accordance with the level 15 uh, Feature that the Paladin got that we just saw the, pal- the Oath of the Watchers with the Vigilant Rebuke. So this is called Beguiling Twist. You have advantage on saving throws against being charmed or frightened. And in addition, whenever you or another creature within 120 feet of you succeeds on a saving throw against being charmed or frightened, you may force another creature within 120 feet of you to make a wisdom saving throw against your spell save DC. If it fails, it is either charmed or frightened by you for one minute. The target can repeat the saving throw on itself at the end of each of its turns. So I had to read this, I think, like once or twice to really get it. And after I did, I could not stop thinking about how hilarious this is. So not only do you get to basically cast a charm person or a fear spell for free, but it uses your reaction and you don't have to concentrate. This is such a strong feature for several reasons other than the ones I just mentioned. Getting advantage on saving throws against fear or charm is great. You don't have to choose a fey race to get those benefits now. You are able to use an enemy spell or feature against them. And because of the wording, if the target creature fails the initial saving throw and then succeeds on the next one, you can retrap them in that fear or charm by using your reaction again, as long as they're still within 120 feet.
0: Oh, man. And it, like you were talking about, if you have one of those Oaths of the Watchers, you can use that Vigilant Rebuke and deal some damage as well.
1: You can smack them in the hands for ever trying to charm you, and then you can <laughs> use somebody else's success to charm them back. How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> this is my charm. So I thought that was pretty bonkers. Um, and moving right along, uh, the 11th level feature that you get is called Fae Reinforcements. So this one is kind of an augmentation to the Summon Fae spell. Um, if you choose not to take it um, initially as you are leveling up in this class, you learn the Summon Fae spell with this feature. And it doesn't count against your number of spells known, and you may cast it once per long rest without using a spell slot. And you can also cast it without using the material components. And additionally, when you begin to cast the spell, you may modify the spell so that it does not require concentration. If you do so, however, the spell's duration will change from one hour to one minute. So we've kind of discussed at length um, how strong these new summoning spells are, Um, and Jaren actually previously noted, uh, I think back in the Cleric and Druid episode, that the material components for these summoning spells are very unique and kind of hard to come by. So being able to cast this without the material components is very nice, um, especially because the Summon phase spell, the material component, is a gilded flower worth at least 300 GP. So being able to cast this at 11th level without having to find that 300 GP gilded flower is great. But on top of all of that, not having to use concentration is amazing.
0: If you're in combat, it's you know one minute is pretty much all you need.
1: Yeah. Uh, essentially, for an entire battle, you could have this phase spirit that, like, fights alongside of you, and you can also have a hunter's mark or any other concentration spell of. Like, this is so powerful, especially because it has no limitations on what level the spell must be cast at. It could be cast at 4th or 5th level at as well, bolstering the phase spirit's potential raw damage output and health that it has when it enters the battlefield.
0: You know this archetype really makes me want to play ranger for the first time
1: yeah it's it's pretty cool i i i like some of these features um on their own and i think the the end cap kind of maybe tipped me over the scale of i might try this uh the end cap feature for this is uh, the level 15 feature called misty wanderer so you can cast misty step a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier per long rest And additionally, when you cast Misty Step, you may take along another willing creature within five feet of you, and they end up in an unoccupied space within five feet of you. So, um, with this feature, you are getting a shorter range version of the spell Dimension Door that you can cast upwards of five times for free per long rest. And I think that ultimately, this feature is promoting the use of teleportation around the battlefield to give the Ranger the best vantage point for attacks. Um, And even out of combat, I think that a dexterous ranger with a misty step in their back pocket is incredibly useful for mobility and getting in and out of situations really easily. Like, you know, a jailbreak or a burglary or some possible asset acquisition uh, with the necessity for guile and stealth. I think that being able to bring somebody along with you on your on your misty step journey is pretty cool.
0: You're sort of a... The Robin Hood of the party. Maybe you're using your Trixie uh, activity for good.
1: I would be I would be remiss if someone did not make a Fey Wanderer Ranger whose name was Robin Hood and he was a Kitsune <laughs> and did stuff like this all the time.
0: Or you're kind of somewhere uh, between like yeah, the Robin Hood or the Peter Pan of the group.
1: Yeah, exactly. So overall. Because that is, that's the last feature that you get um, because rangers don't actually um, get their unique uh, subclass benefits anymore after the 15th level. I think that overall, the subclass to me felt a little fragmented when I looked at all the pieces together. Now, don't get me wrong, I do enjoy all of the pieces, but I think that maybe there was an idea for a fey-touched ranger and... The execution lacked cohesiveness when it when it all comes together. I felt like every time that I read an ability for this subclass, I thought, "Oh yeah, a fay would probably have something like that." But for me, it never really presented me with a full picture. You know, when it comes to subclasses like like this, where things feel fragmented, I'm not really sure how I would fix it or the any critique that I could give that may push it in a more cohesive direction. Um, But just start back at the beginning, maybe, and take what was so interesting about the Cleric and Druid ideas, especially when you think about the Circle of Stars or the Circle of Wildfire or the Twilight Cleric, where things are compounding and built on each other. That may have given them a better idea. Um, It could be that I'm just too used to those subclasses being written this way, Um, but I guess whatever the reason, I felt like I just wanted a little bit more when it comes to cohesiveness, of subclasses
0: yeah i can see that here i suppose the idea that ties it all together is simply hey you've got some relationship with the fey
1: yeah and not a concrete like here are my skills that i have learned from the fey that cohesively make me like the archetype of the fey wanderer so Again, maybe this is just too much of a critique based off of what we've had in the past with clerics and druids especially. But I I think I had just gotten too used to having a spellcaster that was built on a single idea that was getting compounded.
0: That's fair. It's still going to make me want to play this, though. I'm still excited for the Fey Wanderer.
1: Yeah. But for me, in contrast, the Swarm Keeper really, really caught my attention, um, which is the second of two subclasses that are available for rangers in Tasha's so the swarm keeper rangers have such a deep connection to like nature spirits around them that they have formed a bond with a swarm of them that assists them in and out of battle these rangers may be loners that confine themselves in the company of their swarm or maybe they are rangers that cultivate communities that are mutually beneficial and work in tandem much like a colony or a swarm so at third level you get what is called gathered swarm you've bonded with a swarm And They are intangible and they can assist you you can choose their appearance or you may roll on the swarm appearance table in the book and Once on each of your turns you may cause the swarm to react in one of the following ways when you hit with an attack The target takes an additional 1d6 piercing damage The target must succeed on a strength saving throw against your spell save DC or be moved horizontally 15 feet uh, in the direction of your choice or you are moved 5 feet horizontally by your Swarm in any direction that you choose. So, I I think I'd mentioned this earlier, but I had the pleasure of playing this subclass a few weeks ago in a one-off, and I was able to get a little bit more of a look at how this subclass plays. So initially I thought that the first two things that your Swarm can do is pretty cool, um, but the last one was a little underwhelming initially. You know, 1d6 damage is nice because that's essentially the damage of a short sword attack and being able to move enemies around the battle map is great when you're trying to make tactical decisions that benefit your team. So being able to choose one of those two things, it's really nice. Um, and it wasn't until I looked into player movement specifically that I realized how strong the last part of this feature is. So situationally, if a creature ends its turn within five feet of you and you make a melee attack and your swarm moves you five feet in a direction out of its striking range and then you just turn and run from it you do not provoke opportunity attacks since you are being moved by a spell or moved by a feature you are not turning and running so you are not provoking opportunity attacks
0: hmm that's interesting is that ah the double check on that
1: yeah, I, I looked that up to make sure. Um, I looked up Swarm Keeper specifically, and and the rules are regarding you are not moving, an outside force is moving you. Just like, you know, if you cast, um, uh, shoot, I know there's a, a low level, I think wizard spell or something that is in a cone, and it pushes people back 10 feet, and if your Barbarian standing there, they can't make an opportunity attack because they are not moving, they are being moved. So, I, you know, narratively, I do love the idea of a swarm of whatever you choose is that's, like, you know, crawling on you or flying around you. It's kind of like, um, you know, a druid with an animal companion or a wizard with a familiar, but grosser. You have a swarm constantly around you that's assisting you or helping move you or dragging your enemies uh, 15 feet in a certain direction. Or if you want to play like Laura Bailey, you could just have... Butterflies surround you all the time. Yeah,
0: and uh, those butterflies... I'm I'm just thinking how comical that would be because this is just simply just a, a, a save, a strength save to resist being moved by the swarm. It could be a, a pretty massive creature that just rolls really badly and then suddenly this swarm of butterflies picks up this incredibly large beast and moves it 15 feet. Yeah,
1: <laughs> just... But it's like... Alfred Hitchcock's birds, but it's butterflies. Yeah. Which, I mean, you could have a swarm of crows, have a murder of crows around you. I think that Why would not? be pretty cool, too. That,
0: that I think
1: that, um, the only stipulation is that it just needs to be, like, a tiny creature, so...
0: That piercing damage is miniature crows pecking at you.
1: Yeah. So, just like the Wanderer that gets additional spells, uh, the Swarm Keeper also gets additional spells at level 3, and that is Swarm Keeper magic. So additionally, with these spells, you also learn the Mage Hand cantrip if you don't already know it. And when it is cast, it takes the form of your swarming spirits or your swarming insects or what have you are actually doing or becoming the Mage Hand. So at third level, you gain the Fairy Fire spell. Fifth level is Web. Ninth level is Gaseous Form. Thirteenth is Arcane Eye. And seventeenth level, you get Insect Plague. So just like we saw with Feywanderer, I think that all of these spells are very on-brand for the Swarm Keeper. And what I think that is most unique about this subclass is that there is a highlighted block of text in Tasha's right next to um, some of this information here about this subclass. And it is specifically talking about describing the Swarm Keeper spells as being cast from your swarm. So it is really more about personalizing your spells and making sure that when you do take swarmkeeper, you take that opportunity to describe your magic as swarms happening. Um, so for instance, when my swarmkeeper a couple of weeks ago would cast his spells, he, his swarm was spiders. So he cast fairy fire um, by reaching up into his hair and pulling out a clump of like, those spiders that have like reflective bodies. I, I can't remember what they're called, but they have like these hard, almost shell-like reflective bodies. And he just took the clump and then just chucked them at the at the big bad. And instead of his body, you know, being covered by a, a magical, mystical glitter, his body was covered in spiders that were reflecting light <laughs> and causing people to have advantage.
0: I like that a lot. That's cool. And I mean, you
1: know, multiple times, uh, a, couple, a couple of the players in that one-off, I could hear them under their breath, just going, oh, but that's what made it fun it was it was really personal and like oh i can make this you know i I can make make this magic how i want it to be and it's it's a little bit more fun that way and it goes hand in hand with the mage hand cantrip um you know being able to have your swarm cast this there's some cool rp moments that can happen um and just like we had seen before with uh, the druidic fighting rangers really don't get cantrips so having a ranger with mage hand can be really useful too. I think Mage Hand is one of the more 100% useful cantrips that I don't think anyone would ever trade it off.
0: Mage Hand is so useful.
1: Yeah, picking up things that normal people can't hold on to is great. Um, so moving into seventh level, you get a feature that is called Writhing Tide. So as a bonus action, you can have your swarm surround you and give you a flying speed of 10 feet and the ability to hover for one minute. And you can do this a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus per long rest. So what I like about this uh, is that even though 10 feet is not a lot of movement, there are many, many, many different places where this could be applicable. So for instance, crossing a 100 foot chasm or getting over difficult terrain in combat, uh, floating across a room and not waking up the sleeping fire giant, or anything that you can imagine.
0: Not Um, triggering
1: traps. Not triggering traps, yeah. And I think this bears repeating, but it's so cool that you're able to manifest this power through this growing bond that you have with your swarm, and more and more powers being unlocked by your bond with this swarm. Everything being cast by the swarm, maybe you're being picked up by these butterflies, or... I think when I used writhing uh, tide, my spiders all jumped off of me, and they were using their web to like puppet me, like pull me up off the floor and move me.
0: <laughs> like that's really cool.
1: So yeah, it, you know, it it's a, it's a seemingly small feature. It's ten feet. It's not that great, but there are so many uses where sometimes you really don't be wanna you don't want to be walking along the floor, and. Coming up to the second to last feature, we get at 11th level called Mighty Swarm. So this actually augments the feature that you gained at the third level from the Gathered Swarm feature. Uh, You can choose one of these effects to happen now when you hit a creature with an attack. So the additional piercing damage that's done to the target can be increased to 1d8 instead of 1d6. If the creature fails its initial strength saving throw, after being yanked 15 feet in a in a horizontal direction you can also have the swarm knock the target prone or if you choose to have yourself moved five feet by the swarm you also gain half cover until the start of your next turn so starting with the first one um, i think that the 1d8 bump and damage is nice um, it's an easy way to augment when there's already established damage in the first part of the third level feature just raising the damage it's a good way to augment that Um, with the knocking a creature prone that's a really strong ability Uh, not only does it cause the creature to lose half of its movement on its turn but also anyone with a turn before it will have advantage on melee attacks against it so essentially you've got a swarm that's around you that's so strong that not only can it yank someone 15 feet in a direction it can also throw them to the ground
0: how embarrassing to get knocked prone and move 15 feet by a swarm of butterflies.
1: Those butterflies are kicking your ass. Like, yeah, <laughs> pick you up, throw you on the ground. They spit on you and then they fly back to you.
0: Like, <laughs> and I'd make, I'd make mine. Those, um, those ones that have, you know, the Brown camouflage on the outside and they open up their wings and they're these really pretty blue wings. Just, you know, so you don't, you don't see it coming. You don't expect it. It's those really pretty butterflies. How could they be a threat? They're yeah. totally safe.
1: And also doing 1d8 piercing damage when they land <laughs> Somehow, on you. Somehow.
0: They've got sharp legs. Watch out.
1: Yeah, they've got sharp legs. Um, and also, you know, the the five foot horizontally, if you get the half cover, um, you get the benefit of having plus two to your AC and deck saving throws. So I, I really like the adaptability of the swarm, uh, especially that adaptability being augmented later levels. So you can choose to say put and do extra damage, or you can move people around the map and throw them to the ground, or you can move yourself away and be protected until your next turn. So, I I underestimated the swarm in the beginning when I saw you know the sheer damage output and I was like, well, moving people around. But when I played it, it was so nice because I was just pulling these um, low strength they were high decks but low strength enemies into my fighter, just pulling them into my fighter. So my fighter was just I was setting him up and the fighter was knocking him down. So it's a really, really cool way to think about that, Ta- again, tactically with your teammates. Um, so the level 15 feature that you get is called Swarming Dispersal. Now, this is the last feature that you get as a Swarm Keeper Ranger. So when you take damage, you may use your reaction to discorporate into the form and give yourself resistance to that damage. And additionally, if you reduce damage this way, you can teleport up to 30 feet to an unoccupied area that you can see. And this can be done a number of times equal to your proficiency bonus. So this is a really cool feature. Um, However, it is not something that Rangers haven't seen before. This is basically identical to the horizon walkers 15th level feature that they get, um, except that horizon walkers do not get the additional benefit of being teleported 30 feet as part of the reaction. The horizon walkers are slipping halfway into the ethereal plane to get resistance on the damage that's done to them, but they don't get to teleport. So this is just kind of a better version of that, in my opinion. Um, unfortunately you have to get to level 15 to get there, but it is what it is. Um, so as an end cap feature to the class, it's not the most impressive because we have seen it before, um but it does make sense in regards to the swarm and the ranger being so symbiotic enough to protect each other and work with each other.
0: Yeah. I I like that. It's like, you've kind of grown up with this swarm of, uh, you know, insects or birds or butterflies or, you know, these pixies or something like that. And, you know, now they're, now they've got their, now they've got your back.
1: Yeah. Not only are they assisting you in battle, they're also protecting you, which is really cool. So, For me, overall, I love this subclass thematically. I think it's so cool to bond with a swarm. Um, This does do a better job of uh, creating a feature theme early on and then compounding on it uh, to create a well-rounded subclass. Um, However fragmented, I'm gonna use that word again, however fragmented the end cap feature feels to me, I do like that they gave these rangers the swarm at third level with some cool features that it can do. And then they built upon that later, especially at 11th level when you get the bump in damage and things like that. Because, you know, rangers subclasses are built to stop receiving unique benefits at 15 instead of 17, uh, just like some other classes get their end cap at 17th level. They're kind of nerfed a little bit and they can't really be given some of these insanely powerful things at 15th level because it just kind of wouldn't be fair, especially power wise. You don't even get access to your fifth level spells, which is the highest number of like spell level that you can cast as a ranger. You don't even get that until level 17. And you know, that's a conversation for another episode. We can talk about rangers and paladins and half casters and things like that on another episode. Um, But you know, at the end of the day, I had a lot of fun describing my magic um, and how some of my features worked to the players when I got to play this subclass. And within that one-off game, the, a, a sub game was being played by me of how creepy I can make the spiders cast these spells. So, if anything, at the end of the day, if you want to have fun and the game is about fun for you, um, and you don't really want to worry about doing the most damage or being the most heroic, and you want to just describe your butterflies kicking some ogre's ass, please, I would recommend playing <laughs> this subclass.
0: That sounds like a, a fun game to me.
1: Yeah. And before we end with uh, Rangers today, I did want to note, I didn't um, have too much to say about this, just because they end it kind of as a a half or one-page thing in the end of the Rangers. Um, As we've been seeing more summon spells, like summon fey, celestial, fiend, things like that, they have streamlined the process with the Beastmaster Companion. When you get the Animal Companion, if you choose the Beastmaster Archetype for Rangers, Um, this is, it replaces the Beastmaster feature, um, Ranger's Companion. It is called Primal Companion, you can choose this, and essentially they give you three stat blocks, a Beast of the Land, a Beast of the Sky, and a Beast of the Sea, and you can choose one of those that is your Ranger Companion. It works, you know, basically the same where in combat they act during your turn, And they can move and use its reaction on its own but only the action it takes is the dodge action unless you take a bonus action to command it to take an action so it works just like the uh, animal companion feature the, the ranger's companion feature but this time they're giving you a specific stat block to choose one of these three um so i think i'm i'm glad that they did that rather than trying to pick out one like oh well this thing has dark vision or this thing has a flying speed or this thing you know comparing back and forth what and min-maxing what beast is going to be best for you and your party it just gives you land sea and sky and each of them has their own benefits and each of them has their own drawbacks and you can choose from those and it's like in this my my land companion is the same if it's a bear or if it's a wolf or if it's a badger or if it's a moose like it's the land it's the animal of the land and it has these benefits yeah so i think Instead of sitting there comparing and what's going to be the best for you and thematically what works for you, you can say, I'm just going to choose this one because it is a well-rounded animal and I'm going to choose what that looks like to me.
0: Yeah, I like uh, simplicity simplicity and consistency without sacrificing strength or, you know, being any sort of interesting.
1: Exactly. Alright, well that is actually all that I have on rangers. Uh, did you have anything else that you wanted to say regarding uh, some of these subclasses? I know that you said you really like the Wanderer one.
0: Yeah, I guess my final thoughts on rangers is I've never before really been excited about the ranger class, um, but with these two new subclasses, I now am. They both seem really interesting. I think personally, I just am super in love with the Feywild, and also, I like this idea of being a Swarm Keeper ranger, where the swarm protects you and does these different things for you, and you know, I think those are really cool. Uh, I'm, I'm really excited to try out each of them, actually.
1: Yeah. I know that I had fun with Swarmkeeper, and maybe I will dip my toe into Feywanderer. We'll see. We'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, definitely. Some point in the future. Um, well, anyways, that I think that's going uh, to do it for our show this week. Thank you all for stopping by. And if you liked this episode, please check out our future episodes, which are released every Wednesday at 12 p.m. Central. Next week, we're going to continue this journey through Tasha's Cauldron of Everything as we discuss the Rogue and Sorcerer subclasses and everything that Tasha's has to offer them. This has been Discussions and Dragons. I'm Jiren. And I'm Britton. And we'll see you next time.